1: Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com allen Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com A-L-A-N.
0: LinkedIn presents... For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck.
2: Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart,
1: and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, I've got Dave Skeena. He's the global chief brand officer of Krispy Kreme. Dave's a 20-year... Performance driven innovator and marketer. He joined Krispy Kreme in 2018 and has really focused on flipping the script, if you will, regarding traditional marketing in the category of an underdog brand putting premium on insights and creative-driven earned media strategies, much of which we will talk about today. Before Krispy Kreme, Dave was the chief marketing officer at Ruby Tuesday. And prior to Ruby Tuesday, Dave was a marketer at PepsiCo for over eight years, where he led brands such as Lay's, Ruffles, Sun Chips, Tostitos, and Lay's Dips. He began his career as a consultant for Anderson Consulting, now known as Accenture. On the show today, we talk about Krispy Kreme, the uniqueness of that brand and the experience around Omnichannel and how it's delivered. We talk about partnerships that they've had with big brands such as Oreo, Chips Ahoy, Hershey's, and Good Humor. We talk about also how they're able to capture moments in culture, which is actually a good way to hack the news cycle and get more awareness and earned media for your brand. We talk about the importance of performance marketing and getting a return on that marketing investment. So that and much more from Dave Skeena. (laughs)
2: Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to
1: talk about all things donuts. <laughs> but
2: They're uh there are worse things you could talk about.
1: Yeah, there are definitely <laughs> worse things you could talk about. But where before we get going, like I'm wondering if you remember the first time that you ever had a Krispy Kreme donut.
2: Um, oddly enough I did, which which totally helped me out when I was interviewing for this job, by the way. <laughs> so that did work <laughs> out, but I was uh On a vacation, I grew up in Pittsburgh and we had gone on vacation in North Carolina. And my mother, we'd heard about Krispy Kreme, but that there was some cool donut or whatever. And we didn't know much about it. Anyway, we went to one and it was great. And my mom sat down, I was probably about 13 at the time. And we sat down, and we walked in and we were going to get a donut. And my mom got a cup of coffee and they just gave us a donut. And that's what I think made it memorable. And then I had the donut and it was hot. It was fresh. So we, we certainly lucked out. on when we got there and they gave us each a donut for free. And honestly, I think that's what made it s- stick with me is, you know, what kind of company gives their best product away for free. Um, but they, they'd asked us if it was our first time at Krispy Kreme. We said, yeah. And they handed us a donut. And, and, it, and then Honestly, I remember, I mean, that puts you in a good mood. You're usually in a good mood when you're walking to get a donut anyway. And we sat down, we had our donut, and my mom and I talked, and it was one of the first times I remember anyway, my mom telling me a lot about herself when she was younger. And it was honestly a pretty cool moment. And um, it just happens that I remember my first experience with Krispy Kreme. But as I've had this job, I realize a lot of people seem to remember their first time with this brand in ways that, that you don't always remember the first time you had an experience with a brand, you know, if it's, Mm. uh, and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a unique thing. There aren't a whole lot of brands where you can remember where you were the first time you, you had it. And, um, I really do. And I think a lot of people do. And I think it's, it's a special kind of brand.
1: I would agree. I would agree. I mean, I grew up in North Carolina, and I remember my first experience with the brand probably wasn't – I mean, it was a great experience, don't get me wrong, but it's not the the moment that you're describing in the store. I was My dad would bring home – he had a sweet tooth, but I remember him first time ever bringing home like a, an entire dozen of Krispy Kreme glazed donuts from the grocery store. And I just remember the smell, which was great by the way but yeah. the smell and then the the taste being able to sink sink your teeth into that and then but then it was a whole new discovery experience when i went to college in raleigh north carolina and ended up at that store the and watching the donuts being produced and then you know, taking them right off the line and put them in the box to have a, a really hot crispy cream donut was amazing
2: yeah i think uh I mean, there's a lot of reasons the brand's special and I'm sure we'll get into that, but that's definitely one of them. Not a whole lot of brands are so easily <laughs> shareable or show you their entire manufacturing process before you eat it. And it's just, yeah, it's got a lot of unique things about it.
1: Yeah. There's not much better than a hot now Krispy Kreme donut. It's no, just like, no. it just melts in your mouth as soon as you put it in there. But anyway, now I'm hungry for donuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, so let's talk about how you, how you got to Krispy Kreme. You're now the chief, sorry, global uh, chief brand officer of Krispy Kreme. Yeah. And like, what was your pathway?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I guess it's probably like most people's pathways and in, in careers that it sure is sure as heck is in a straight line and i'll i'll take you in the way back machine but you know i i, I thought i was going to be a, an economist i studied <laughs> economics and political science undergrad and and then absolutely none of that happened <laughs> got my first job at at anderson consulting now it's accenture and i loved it actually i loved everything about it but i was uh with my poli sci degree immediately put into like coding computers for like inbound shipment interfaces for large <laughs> companies. And that was, that was probably not the highest, best use <laughs> of my brain. <laughs> I found out there are a lot better computer programmers than me, but I noticed that all these CPG companies I was consulting to the most of the people that either ran the company or influenced the company a lot they they came from this function I knew very little about called marketing. And I thought marketing was just advertising, just communications, mm-hmm. like probably a lot of people, I didn't really know what brand management was, but I started to like, sort of see what it, it could be. And so I said, well, that, that sounds like something I want to be involved with right there. And so I went to Kellogg business school and I started over and I took a you know big pay cut after my MBA program and <laughs> sort of coughing up that money to go into an entirely new industry. And I started it. I was lucky to start at Kraft Foods, which was a fantastic training ground absolutely top tier training and academy kind of company. It was great. And then after about six years there, you know, I I'd had three kids by that time. My wife's family was down in Plano, Texas, and mm. a couple of my good friends moved from craft to PepsiCo and their Frito-Lay division. And so it was a, it was at that point, even though I love craft, a pretty easy choice to go down to join Frito-Lay and I spent about 10 years at Frito-Lay in a whole bunch of roles and. I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. And so I really, you know, I got to experience big brands and small brands and brands with lots of money and brands with not so much money and entrepreneurial brands. And it was just awesome. And then I felt like it was time to kind of have the the big seat and become a chief marketing officer. So I, I left consumer packaged goods for the first time and went into to restaurants at a, a chain called Ruby Tuesday. We we're mm-hmm. taking it from uh, being a public company into a private company. And then We completed that, and I and I took on my next role here with a little bit more to it here at Krispy Kreme. So that's that's the kind of quick and dirty path there, but lots of zigs and zags along the way. But for the last twenty years or so, uh, all in marketing.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, and we we apparently are just like weaving together here because (laughs) one of my first jobs as a high school kid after I got my license was stocking Frito Lay chips and the chip aisle on the weekends across a number of different grocery stores. <laughs> and honestly, I think it's been one of the best jobs I've ever had <laughs> yeah. because my friends were lugging the two-liter Pepsis around, and that is a lot of work. <laughs> and
2: <Yeah.
1: laughs> and so I was just... It's it
2: definitely going the, it the Doritos bags and the, the two-liter Pepsis, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. I feel like I could have probably like carried most of the chip boxes with little to no effort.
2: <laughs> I think if i have been in that role, though, I would have probably eaten all the... <laughs> <laughs> story. i love all the products my daughter's actually starting at pepsico here in a couple of weeks and I, I just think i've been so lucky to have like a couple absolutely extraordinary companies that, mm. that taught me how to perform in an environment that's a little smaller more entrepreneurial and I, I think it's been a huge benefit to me in my career to to have those those guys in my background
1: yeah so you you spent time in cpg you spent time in hospitality and restaurant and now you're at Krispy Kreme. Like, what's what's different about Krispy Kreme? It's it's a little bit of both models in some regards.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot that's different about Krispy Kreme, and and I feel when you look back backwards, your experience makes sense in leading you to this one place, but you never would have guessed it looking forwards because. If I hadn't had the restaurant experience at, at Ruby Tuesday, I don't think I'd understand that aspect. If I hadn't had all the traditional you know, sort of classical marketing training from CPG, I don't think I could be as effective here either because Krispy Kreme really is sort of a hybrid model. I mean, we we have our fresh shops, you know, our theater shops where you have, which is what most of what we have in the United States is these theater shops where you get that hot, fresh original glazed done off the line. We also have these fresh shops, which don't have the production in them, in a lot of areas of the world. We just have the donuts, and then we have what we call delivered fresh daily, so our DFD, which is our donuts available in grocery stores, which has all the aspects of, of shopper marketing and retail logistics and all that. And so it is a really different model. It is it is a something that that you just don't. You know, you just don't see with other restaurants or something within CPG that you just don't see them extending into own retail like we are. So, without both of those things in my background, which I never could have planned, I don't think I could be nearly as effective in this. And and that that model is one big difference: this sort of omni-channel company where we're trying to make sure we get extremely fresh product, whether it's e-commerce or in a grocery store, or of course in our shops is a challenge because we are a fresh donut company and fresh is critical and fresh is what makes it light and airy and delicious and all that. And so we've always got to deliver on that, that product promise and the brand promise in every one of these channels. And that makes it very unique. And to deliver something of such, I mean, it's accessible on I mean, Krispy crispy cream donuts aren't super expensive, right. but they are premium in the sense that it's something you're not able to get with another another type of donut, another mm. type of snack. So that makes it really interesting. Yeah. But I think know one of it. the coolest things about Krispy Kreme and um, the thing I love the most is what you talked about at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, I'm blown away. So when I worked at Free to lay one time, I got to tour the plant in, in Irving, Texas, where they make Doritos and Cheetos and stuff. And you got to sample a couple right off the line. And it was this hot experience. And, and I mean, you know, when you can have a product fresh off the line, it will be incredible. And that's an incredible mm-hmm. experience. There just aren't too many companies on planet Earth <laughs> who are willing to show you from the time you make the dough to the time you put it in your mouth, the entire manufacturing process. And you can see how fresh it is because you could wash that thing from the moment it was put in right. the hopper to <laughs> it was in your mouth. And I think that's incredible. And I think people appreciate that sort of authentic, sort of wholesome experience in an indulgent product like a donut. You know you're getting the best freshest thing you can get it's awesome
1: yeah well and not to mention the the uh the fountain of glaze <laughs> <laughs> the
2: laser is phenomenal i mean yeah that yeah. is it is a glorious sight
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like it's good that there's like plexiglass between me and the and the glazer because i'd totally yeah. stick my face under there yeah,
2: but, uh, <laughs> yeah I, do, uh, I think yeah we had to put that in for a reason <laughs>
1: But, uh, well, well, the, you know, the brand, it does seem, have a, a real knack, if you will, for kind of like capturing cultural moments. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about like some examples of that and, and how you, how you think about it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it kind of does start with the product though, because not everybody could replicate what we do the way we do, because, The product itself is something that makes you feel good. And and then on top of it, you can share it, which also makes you feel good. And so when the pandemic hit, especially, but we've always, always been generous with sampling and things like that. But we thought about, okay, what kind of role can we play here? We We all remember what it was like when everything shut down and all the uncertainty. And I mean, it was a very serious situation. And even in those most serious situations, there must be a way where something, a product like ours, which provides comfort and joy and things that we could do something there. And so we thought about what's our role in this thing. So, well, you know, we, we're we not the doctors and the nurses. We're not the healthcare professionals, but we can show them we appreciate them. We're not these graduates um, who just had their last few months of school robbed from them, but we we can show, we feel for them. And so we created these things called acts of joy. And and the first one was free donuts to all healthcare professionals every Monday for eight weeks with no strings attached Just show up and tell us how many donuts you want. And we just gave them to you, which was pretty insane. Right. It is. (laughs) Now
1: that you think about it after the fact, a lot of
2: people, definitely that was a word they used to describe me at the time. But, but uh, but you know, a crazy thing did happen um, in that first, you know, the first few weeks of when we got our clocks cleaned, we really did. I mean, people came in, we didn't sell much because people just lined up to take everything for free. And then a crazy thing started happening in that I think in hindsight, and, and even right there when we did it, it did a few things for us. It reminded people in a very obvious way that, hey, we're open. And a lot mm-hmm. of things weren't. And yep. so without even really having that as being one of its main intentions, it created awareness that Krispy Kreme's still open, which was huge for a brand with a relatively low media spend, communications budget, all that stuff. So that was great. And then two, I think people thought like, look, these guys are trying to do something. They're trying to be part uh, of bringing a little comfort, a little joy to this. And in the days that weren't Mondays, our sales started booming and people, I think were pretty pleased with us and, and then we did that. So that was one. And more and more as we went through, even the healthcare professionals who we wanted to give everything for free would say, you know, I'll have a couple original glaze. Done, but can you please let me pay for three or four more dozen for the crew? And so it turned into a really good thing, not just for the brand, but also for the business, because we were, we were trying to do that. And of course, one of the things that made it all work was the earned media it was newsworthy. And so the word got out, the word was able to get out because the news media thought it was so counter-cultural almost that somebody was being so kind in a time where we really needed it. I mean, we were all appreciative of the healthcare workers at that time. And that was really the first thing where we said, well, this makes sense for our brand DNA. We have a product that can can bring a lot of happiness to people and make them feel good and just bring a little smile in a tough day-to-day. And then we thought about, well, where else do we have these kinds of things? And we came up with a dozen, what we called internally acts of joy, And we just started doing, you know, another big one that we felt great about was graduates, high school graduates who did have all that, that last few months of graduating stripped away from them. And we drive through only said, Hey, wear a calf and gown or anything from your high school and give you a free grad dozen on this certain day. And we didn't know what would happen with it, but the traffic started early and lasted all day. We had, uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, we had a few situations where our ops leader would call me and be like, Oh my God, Dave, you know, the cop, the, the police want to shut the store down <laughs> in a traffic jam. And, and it was like the pain and horror in her uh, statement. I, I was empathetic to her. Don't get me wrong. But right. that was also like, my expression was like, Oh my gosh, it's working so well. The cop <laughs> shut us down. You know, it's, it's a different <laughs> feeling, but, but, you know, we did work through all that. We learned a lot and we made a lot of people happy. And I think those graduates, I'd like to think they'll remember that for a long time. We got so much positive praise for that. And then flashing forward a year later when the vaccine came out, and I know in later days there's some controversy about that, but we just thought, like, how can we encourage society to get us past COVID? And Mm -hmm. part of that, you know, we felt at that time was to encourage people to get this vaccine when it came out. So after it just came out for the elderly, but before it hit mainstream, we said, we'll give. Everybody who who got the vaccine just come in, tell us if you got it, and you can have a donut every day, each day, every day for the rest of the year, and uh, that was you know taken advantage of by a lot. And again, one of the keys to make all this stuff work was you have to do something so interesting and so provocative that the media wants to talk about it. Mm. Otherwise, it, it runs the risk of going unnoticed. So those are a few of the things we did, and I, we continue to look more. Of, and we have a lot of fun things we to. Uh, you know, that aren't, aren't so um, societally <laughs> high minded, we love science and STEM. So we, we've done a Mars donut. We've done one celebrating Artemis. We've done a strawberry moon donut. We've just got a thing for science because we know a lot of teachers use those events to teach their kids about science in, in high school or grade school. And donuts are always a fun way to uh, engage people. Yeah.
1: I mean it's it's pretty amazing that, that the how you've been able to capture the essence of the, the moments that are mattering and, and you're right, it's like very authentic because I think most people that have had a Krispy Kreme they realize that it does bring a little joy, <laughs> you know? So if I'm getting a shot. Yeah, Krispy Kreme sounds good. Sounds <laughs> good,
2: right? You deserve a yeah. little treat after that. Yeah,
1: know? exactly. It's like a little kid moment, you know, uh, go get your vaccine and then I, mom or dad will get you a small toy. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: Well, I know you've you've also had a number of collaborations with other companies and brands. Tell me about that and, and how those come together.
2: Yeah, I mean, we don't, you know, we don't really view sort of happiness or, or anything like that as something that's a fixed pie or brand love as some sort of fixed pie. And what we found is when we collaborate with other brands that perform a similar function that people love, especially, you know, like a Hershey's or an Oreos or Biscoff and the people love that because hmm. people love more than one product. They love more than one brand. So when you can put them together, sometimes it's you know one plus one equals a lot more than two for them. It's just a really great treat, and and we we welcome them in. They they help us. They're such great collaborators. Most uh, these these partners we have, whether they're you know, uh, Oreo or Chips Ahoy or Hershey's or Good Humor and so on, we try to partner and collaborate with other and sweet indulgent brands that can kind of combine the taste of our donuts with the taste of another brand that they love. And, and we're always doing that. We have done that time and again, and people have appreciated it time and again, it benefits our brand to be associated with Mm. those wonderful power brands. And, and lucky for us, it benefits those brands to be associated with Krispy Kreme. So it's a real win-win and it's something we've worked on a lot over the years and gotten better at over the years and those things, you know, we have a lot of success on special occasions, Halloween, mm. Christmas, Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. But these power partnerships we have with these other big sweet treat brands, they help us turn an otherwise uh, holiday free time into a really special reason to come to Krispy Kreme and try something new. People are always interested in what kind of new things we can provide. and And these partnerships and the partners we work with you know, they're awesome collaborators. I and mean, we keep trying to come up with new things and there's uh, there's some on the way, I promise you that.
1: So. <laughs> I'll stay tuned for sure, for sure. I mean, keeping it fresh and finding partners, like you said, that are also kind of like sweet, indulgent brands makes a lot of sense. Like, do you think about it in terms of, I'm going to get technical on you, <laughs> but do you, do you think about it in terms of like expanding the brand's, mental availability like like how it sits in people's minds or is it creating an an additional occasion to try it or, or maybe it's both i don't
2: know i mean i think look well, ultimately we're a pretty low frequency brand you know we're mm. an occasional indulgence and not something like a lot of quick serve restaurants or something where it's habitual people are there multiple times a week that's kind of not our game so i think when we provide these partnerships one thing we're doing is creating an, an opportunity for some people who it's just that nudge they need to to make it worth the trip. We don't have and don't intend to have a hot theater shop on every street corner. That's that's not our our game. So people tend to have to drive a little further to get to a Krispy Kreme in most areas. And we want to make it worth the trip. And so those partnerships, I think a lot of times, if you love Twix and you love Krispy Kreme, that'll get you going 10 10 miles out of your way sometimes to make that happen and and you know we'll probably talk a little bit more about access because that's one of the our biggest challenge with consumers is not having them like our product not having them become aware of our product it's it's just providing access to them It's is a big part of the um you know the strategy we talked about before so we want to make it worth it for them to seek us out and get that get that extra trip yeah and something for them to share. So that's a big part of the the strategy is how do we constantly find reasons for people to come into the shop? Because a lot of times it won't be on their way. And another way to do that is, of course, expand the reach of things so that they don't they don't have to go further than the local grocery store or whatever. Make it easier for them to to access it.
1: Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the I think you call it delivered fresh daily approach to getting into retail and other distribution channels. So tell me more about that.
2: Yeah. You know, whereas, whereas some of these partnerships you just talked about, you know, we're partnering with an Oreo or Hershey's, they do expand the way people think about Krispy Kreme Mm. and what makes sense. Oh, that's cool. I hadn't thought Krispy Kreme could do that. You know, that's great through this some mental availability. Whereas our DFD program is about expanding physical access to the donut and having points uh we you know we refer to them internally points of access so that people can more easily find the brand that they love and our biggest thing that we want to reassure people is that 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 what you see in the grocery store was was made fresh delivered fresh put on that shelf fresh and is the same quality product you would get at the shop now Mm -hmm we haven't quite found a way to have everyone streaming off an assembly line at your, you know, <laughs> your local Walmart, but we'll, you right. know, maybe someday, but they are made. I mean, they are that fresh, right? Um, yeah, they, yeah. They're made just as fresh as the donuts on the shelf in the shop. And so that has been a big part. And over the years, we've added thousands of these access points through retail partners, grocery stores, most recently in a test with with McDonald's, but you know, we're, we're adding more ways for people to just access the brand that they want with and, and, and have that little smile on their day, that delicious donut, make their day a little bit better, even if they can't get to a a fresh shop.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, how do you, so we've talked about you, you guys, you're not an everyday brand for everybody, of course, and you're growing your points of points of access and distribution. I imagine that you I mean you're not you're not PNG <laughs> either and so your budgets are not not ginormous I'm sure you always want more how do you think about you know, maximizing your marketing and your investments if you will
2: Well one thing is I I'm a I'm a I guess the right phrase now is performance marketer I don't I don't really understand all the labels as well as I should, <laughs> but I know that I hold every penny prisoner and I want to get the most out of every dollar we spend. And marketers are fond of talking about top of funnel things. Oh, we did a great job. You know, our awareness ticked up two points. That's nice. But, and, and you got to do that. You got to build the brand with what you do, but you've also got to build the business. So I like seeing results and there are ways to make that marketing budget stretch. But one of the most important ones is to make sure you're constantly monitoring with every means you have at your disposal the performance of each thing you do. And if you don't have a huge budget, and we don't, we do a lot of A-B testing. So you'll you'll test certain ad units in one market and the other ad unit in another market, and then you pour all the money into the one that works best. And social media has been a huge benefit on the performance marketing side to us because you can see so quickly who your message is resonating with, and then you can spawn look-alike audiences for that message with the types of people who seem to be engaging with the ad, and and you can geo-target it around your shops, and you can geo-target it to make sure you're only hitting geographies where you are. So, you know, we found the f- so one of the big things on the paid side is the flexibility and precision that social media channels allow, whether mm-hmm. they're you know TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or some of the ones we use the most. They just allow a really good degree of specialization or or, or targeting in a in a value sense, or you know, a pe- mm. targeting ads towards people who are responding and engaging with, independent of any demographic or psychographic, and of course, geofenced in an area where they're likely to to visit your store. So that's one aspect of it. But I think one of the biggest things we've done at Krispy Kreme that has been enormously powerful is what we're talking about before is when you can do something that's completely in keeping with your brand DNA that becomes newsworthy and gets a massive amount of word of mouth and a massive amount of earned media PR where you do something so interesting or so in tune with pop culture that it becomes part of the conversation. Mm. That's how you win. I mean, yeah. you're right. We're not PNG. We don't have a billion dollar marketing budget to, to do all the traditional tools through frequency and bang, bang, bang on people until they buy your shampoo. I think those are great, by the way, they work. I'm not disparaging. Right. At all. I'm just yeah. saying we need like, we need different tools. And for us, earned media and using our product as a way to, to participate in culture has been a way where we've gotten billions and billions and billions of, of earned media impressions and talk value that drives traffic. It's not just awareness. It's not just good feeling about the brand, although it does both those things, It sales and it sells immediately. Mm, I
1: love it. I love it. Well, the other thing I would just point to, I mean, I'm reflecting on kind of where we've gone in the conversation I was alluding to the, maybe some people call him the dark lord of marketing, Byron Sharp, and uh, how brands grow, you know, but you are you are showing how you can achieve the same mental availability or, or physical distribution and not have to do it with endless resources. And that's pretty amazing, to be honest, like what you guys are doing and how you're able to not only you know expand how people think about the brand, the moments that they think about it, but kind of hack the <laughs> hack the tools that you have at your disposal to make it work for you at scale. It's pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and I have to say, just to uh, for all my my marketing friends who might hear this, it would also be fun to do this with unlimited resources. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like just to be clear, I'm not begging for fewer resources to get my job done. It would actually be awesome to have more. But yeah, you you know, you look, you do the best you can with the the hand you have, the cards are dealt. And and it's true, small companies and it obviously I'm familiar with the <laughs> the book you're talking about, that theory. Yeah. I, I do think sometimes People forget about the product. They always want to ladder up to just mm-hmm. the emotional space and trying to occupy some something there, and sometimes forget the reason to believe of why you can. You know, whether we're talking about Gatorade or or Nike or Disney or or little old Krispy Kreme, right? But like, it starts with a fresh, original glazed donut that is unlike other products. And it's very difficult to replicate. If you walked in to a venture capitalist with the business model, or we're going to build a manufacturing facility in every shop, (laughs) (laughs) probably it'd be hard to get that, but we've done it and we've made it work over 86 years. So we already have that credibility. And, And that's what leads to the ability to multiply happy. The fact that we're sold in dozens is a huge benefit that we have. I mean, how many do you, this is crazy, Alan, like this (laughs) this is a real thing. The overwhelming majority of our donuts are consumed by someone who didn't buy them. (laughs) And maybe that seems off. Well, yeah, you bring a dozen into the, Mm -hmm. the office and people eat them or you bring a dozen home. Like you talked about your, your experience as a kid. But mm-hmm. there aren't many products where people buy them to give them to other people. I mean, no mm-hmm. one goes buys like a dozen cars and says, yeah, i got 11 <laughs> extra if you want one. I mean, it just doesn't happen. No. So th- that starts with some of these product attributes that, that end up, you can ladder them up into this emotional space of of generosity and sharing. And, and that is where they belong, that people come to associate that with, you're a brand that that is generous. And, and so therefore we are generous and our people are generous with our product, Mm -hmm. but you can't forget the product. I think that's the, that is the hack. Always have a good product Mm -hmm. and then you can take it places.
1: i love it. Well, one of the things we like to do on the show is get to know you a little bit better and kind of go behind, behind the scenes with the people and my favorite question to ask everyone on the show is has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today
2: oh i think uh, well yeah i'll say the the biggest probably experience early 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 even before my career started was after undergrad undergraduate work i went on a scholarship over over to a school in in england that i and I didn't know anybody in the whole country. And I, mm. I'd done well as a, a kid in college when I, mean, I did all right. But was that just luck, or can you maybe perform well in a new situation? And 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 going abroad, and, and it wasn't, you know, it was England, and it wasn't much of a language barrier there, but still, you didn't know anybody. Everything was new, even the way, even the way the classes work felt new. But you learned that yeah you can you can perform in that new situation and do well that meant a lot to me because it, it made me feel like my, my undergraduate <laughs> stuff wasn't a fluke and that maybe this is a repeatable thing and then getting thrown into a professional world with Anderson consulting and which I loved Anderson so much and having to learn computer programming on the fly <laughs> but I was never the best computer programmer that's for sure but I was I was good. I did my job well and learning, Hey, you can handle this. So I I think anytime you're thrown into a situation early in your career where inside you're feeling like, man, I don't know if I can do this, but then you find out you can is it's just incredibly empowering to think like this could be a repeatable trend. I, I can do this. I, it gains, it helps you gain a lot of confidence. And those two things happen very early on in my career which gave me the courage later to switch into a career I wanted to do more which was marketing even though I knew mm-hmm. nothing about it in brand management and to kind of leave a whole career behind and start over again i think had it not been for those early formative experiences in my career there's no way i would have taken that risk and i think taking risk which is a is a i think a big deal i think having the courage to take risks is probably the best thing I did when I took some big leaps of faith. They mm. they generally got rewarded. They don't all pay out by the way, but they usually pay out. And and those early experiences gave me confidence to take some risks later. Yeah. Is that
1: the advice you'd give to your younger self? Take more risk or yeah,
2: something? if I could talk to my younger self, I think I, you know, the pep talk I would give be like, <laughs> hey, good job when you took that risk. <laughs> Just leaving leaving consulting to To go into a new profession, it felt like a risk. Taking a step back in terms of paying stuff after consulting to start over in marketing was felt like a risk. Leaving a job to go to another, and that's a risk. Changing industries, it's a risk. And but they've all kind of worked out. Right. And if it if it weren't for those risks, I wouldn't have the chance to do what I'm doing now. And um yeah, that is the best advice I could give to to my younger self or to anybody new in their career is. You know, if, if you work hard and you're generally easy to get along with and um, you're reasonably smart, mm-hmm. then you have everything you need to take risks. And and mm-hmm. probably that's the biggest determinant of whether or not people, how, how far they go in their careers. I love it.
1: Is there anything that you're trying to learn more about today or you think marketers need to be learning more about?
2: Well, I know it sounds like, uh, well, I actually go two ways with this. The yeah. first, I think every marketer should a lot of marketers do care about performance marketing and evaluating performance, but I think more and more marketers who just do things that have soft or loose performance metrics. I think that that's going to become a less and less prominent feature of marketing over time. Mm. There'll still be some industries where the whole game's awareness and top of mind, and they can still do that. But in general, in industries like mine and CPG, I mean, I think marketers to make their profession as strategically important as it is and should remain Mm -hmm. need to be able to demonstrate to the CFOs that they're the best thing you can do with a dollar, the best thing you can do with a dollar. So I think every marketer should care a lot about performance marketing because I believe I really do believe that in every dollar is an investment you can make somewhere. So our job as marketers is to show not only we're building the brand because we have to build the brand, But that it's a good way to spend a dollar, not just over time, but also in the near term. And I think that that's eminently provable with the tools we have now as marketers Mm. to show that. So I feel, you know, every marketer should be looking to sort of heighten all of marketing by demonstrating that we deliver both hard and soft benefits to a company. Love
1: it. Love it. Well, is there any trends or, or subcultures that you're following you think other people should take notice of?
2: Well, it, I think the countertrend that you know, we're trying to take notice of is at least in the U.S., but it's, it's honestly not just the U.S. It's weird that Unity is, is now like a zag. <laughs> That's weird. You look at so much out for so long, brands, big brands, Coke, Disney, whatever. I mean, there were just a lot of things that people agreed on and there was right. no division with them. And, Looking for ways where you can bring people together versus pull them apart is is right now in our climate something that's that's hard to do. yeah And trying to participate in moments of culture that are positive and not antagonistic, I think is a marketing zag that I invite any company, please join us in trying to do things that that try to pull people together. Um, mm. I think at that at this point, that that is something that we could really use. And I think it, it used to be the norm. And now I think it's becoming more unusual and it, it hurts me to call it a subculture, but I do think unity is coming back. I think optimism can come back. I think caring about one another can make it come back. And I think brands can be a little part of helping consumers demonstrate that that's where they want to be. We're not the heroes of the story. We're the tool the heroes of the story can use, and the consumers are the heroes. And if we can be a part of them trying to knit things back together, we want to, we want to help. That's, that's beautiful.
1: (laughs) I'll just leave that there. I a hundred percent agree. That's amazing. Last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers?
2: I think this is going to sound so cliched, but I I don't care. (laughs) It is, it is AI. I mean, yeah, but maybe not in the way you think. I I mean, I'm not Mm. eager to, you know, salute our artificial intelligence <laughs> kind of thing. I just mean more as a, honestly, like when I think about AI for our marketing department, which probably like every marketing department, you, you use it. There's a lot of repetitive stuff hmm. that you, you just do, whether it's uh, writing simple concept screens or da 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 you know, like there's hours and hours and hours every marketing department can save. And it's only going to get more with AI just by using, sure, ChatGPT for now. But I mean, you know, Microsoft's when they start embedding AI tools into Microsoft Office, like the productivity gains, I think, from AI tools will be as big as going from a ledger to Excel. Mm -hmm. It will be huge benefits just in productivity. And so that's the one side. I think a a group of marketers will be able to do an enormous amount more work than they can now. And there's an endless amount of work to do. So I don't really think so much about the job this location. I think about more of, there won't be job dislocation for once. Maybe we'll be able to have everything planned far enough ahead. Like we wanted to uh, would be one. So productivity and the other side of it though, is I think as people start using this more and more, I think the ideas will get more derivative and, and you know, there'll all be things you've seen before. And so the other challenge and opportunity for marketers, though, well, I think there'll be an increasing premium on any truly original idea hmm. is, is, truly original ideas are going to become harder and harder and harder to come by. And I, I think the best, I still think the best opportunity for truly original ideas will come from uh, good old fashioned human brains. And so oh. while AI is a huge productivity tool, I also think it represents a challenge for marketers to think about how they add value when a tool like AI can knock down so many of the easy tasks. Mm.
1: I love it. I love it. More about creativity in the future. That's for sure. (laughs) Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have really enjoyed the conversation.
2: Alan, I really appreciate you having me. I love talking about marketing and I I really enjoyed talking with you.
1: Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart and this is Marketing Today.